go get you to turn in your Bibles or open your Bible apps, whatever you need to do to get to the Scriptures and go to Acts chapter 13 today. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of this chapter here. We're going through the book of Acts for the, right now, right now in chapter 13. This past week, I had the great privilege of being able to go down to the North American Mission Board uh, in Atlanta, Angie and I did, uh, as I uh, get to be their ambassador to pastors here in the state of Virginia. And once a year, they bring everybody in uh, sort of for different meetings, what have you. It's a busy time, exhausting time, but it was a really, really good time. But as with any journey that you take, you all know, uh, there's a lot of logistics that come with that, you know, like you uh, want to know how you're going to get there. I praise God for GPS. Amen. As Angie and I were talking about this as we were on the journey, it used to be a day when you would open the atlas or open up a map and you'd map out, you know, where you were going to go. Now you just punch it in. Man, that's so good. Amen. But I still, I'm one of those people who still likes to look at the whole picture. I want to zoom out, you know, to see where I am in the relation to everything. I still like to do that. But then as you think about, you know, just the, on the journey, the logistics of moving from point A to point B, you, where to stop, where to stay, you know, the meals you're going to get, you gotta, where's, where's the coffee shop along the journey, all those kinds of things. So very important, you know, you got to see those things. But, you know, as we think about these things, this happens all the time when you take journeys for vacation or business trips. But, you know, in reality, life is a journey too, isn't it? Uh, we do the same thing all the time where we have things we're going to do today. We got to what we're going to eat today, where we're going to go today, who we're going to see today. But we do it so routinely, we don't think about it. We just kind of go through the motions. But I want us to see today that as disciples, we're on a journey as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a journey with Jesus Christ. And it's a day by day, it's moment by moment. But we tend to think of this journey of being a disciple of Jesus. We tend to think of this thing of being a, a, fellow, a, a believer of Jesus Christ is it's just a once-a-week gathering. That's really where the bulk of it takes place, is once-a-week gathering instead of the day-by-day journey. And beloved, what I want us to understand as we walk away from here today is to understand that instead of us beginning to think or, or continually thinking about being a believer as let's just go to church, is that we need to be thinking we need to be the church. Amen? And so that's been this series title for this entire year of Be the Church. And we come to this passage of Scripture today, and we see Acts chapter 13 is where we find Paul's first missionary journey sent out uh, by the Antioch Church, sending out Barnabas and Paul. Saul becomes Paul in this passage of Scripture. But we want to take a look at this passage and see that the Antioch Church, as well as Barnabas and Paul, and learn what it is to journey on. And so I want us to learn that as we think about this journey, that while being a follower of Jesus secures our destination at the end of the journey, we also need to know that until we get to that destination, we're on a journey with Jesus Christ every day. Amen? Every day. We're on a journey with Jesus. And so we're going to look at Acts 13, verses 1 through 13. And in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage for us today. Acts 13, 1 through 13. The Bible says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, Elamus, the magician who, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is, called, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you any of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now... Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. It is your word. And we pray that you would help us to understand it and apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray by your spirit that you would cause us to be in tune with what we need to hear and what we need to understand. Lord, where we need to walk away with a greater joy in Jesus, a greater joy on this journey. Lord, we need to know of your great love for us. Lord, we need to be convicted of some sin or whatever it may be. I pray, Father, that this would be the time where you use the word and speak to our hearts. For those who don't know you, again, we pray that this would be that moment of salvation. But Father, may you have your way in each of us. We're your people. We want to hear from you. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation, my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, we're going to see four different points as we walk through this journey of what it is to be in a journey with Jesus, a journey of being a disciple. And then there's three application points. We call those uh, to-dos at the very end. And so there's four points. The first thing that we want to see here is we think about this journey that we're on. And the first thing that we see here that's taking place in the church is this idea of worship. Worship. And we really see that as we look at our passage, we find the church and its leadership doing this worship, which is vitally important to every disciple and for every disciple. Again, verses 2 and 3, we see that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is not something that it was just a one-off. This is something that the church did. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them, and then... After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So we see here this worshiping the Lord, this fasting we see in verse 2. And then in verse 3, we see the idea of them fasting and they're praying. And so this idea of this worship that we see there in verse 2, what does that mean? Well, worship is, is serving as an act of worship. It's serving as an act of worship to the Lord. That, that idea of the worship there is seen also in Romans chapter 12, and verse 1, that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what it says in the ESV. New King James says, which is your reasonable service. This idea of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, that's part of who you are as your worship, as your service to him. So this worship that we see here in Acts 13, the same that we see there in Romans 12, is the offering, we see the disciples, is the offering of themselves to the Lord to do whatever it is that he wants them to do. And so they are worshiping and they are fasting, which is connected with, with deeply praying. And they want to know. The church wants to know what the Lord is directing them to do. They want to know, well, Lord, what's the plan? What's the map of the day? What's the journey that you have for us? What does the Lord want us to do next? And so this, this worship, this, this fasting, this praying, it's being done by these disciples to, to seek the Lord and to seek his will and to seek his way and, and to see whatever it is that he wants for what's next. So this worship, this, this fasting, this praying, it's, it's the intentional searching and seeking what the Lord is desiring for them to do. And they have the willingness to do whatever that is. So in this worship, this fasting and praying, they're attentive to God's spirit and to his direction. They want to know what God wants them to do. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, that's easy. I know what God wants me to do. He wants me to come to church, and he wants me to give my offering, and he, he wants me to serve in my spot, and, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that every week. And I would say, hallelujah, yay, I'm glad you're going to do that, because he does want you to do that. But here's what else he wants you to do. He wants you to follow him and to walk with him and to be on the journey that he has for you, not only on Sunday, but guess what? There's six other days in the week. Amen. As a disciple, this is what he has for you to do the rest of the week as well. So as they're being attentive to God's spirit and his direction, does that sound foreign to you? No, we need to seek the Lord. How many of us seek the Spirit of God daily, moment by moment, for the journey of what it is to follow Jesus? You see, friends, we think about this journey of Jesus, and many of us will treat this journey of being a disciple, of us walking with Jesus, like we do driving down the highway. We just like to put it on cruise control. If you're going down the highway, Interstate 95, Interstate 85, whatever it may be, and you're driving along, the traffic's not too bad, and it's not raining or anything, you, you put that little cruise button on, about 65, 70, whatever the, whatever the speed limit is, right? Police officers in the room, right? And so you put it on that, and so you cruise down the road. Man, it's nice, you know, you drive down the road, it's kind of nice, look around, put your arm up, whatever, and you're just driving along. But you know what? We treat being a disciple of Jesus the same way. We're just going to cruise along. I'm going to get up. I'll read a passage of Scripture this morning in my devotion like I always do. I'll say my prayer because i got to have my protection and my provision for the day. And, and I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to cruise along until next time. I may look at a lesson, uh, but I'm just going to keep just cruising along. But, you know, here's the thing about cruise control, friends. You better not take your eyes off the road. And you always better stay, pay attention, right? Always be aware. 
And such it is with being a disciple. You might like cruise control, but let me tell you something. You better keep your eyes open all the time because God has a plan. And he wants you to be involved in what he's doing. Stay attentive to what the Lord is wanting you to do because being a disciple is more than putting the cruise control on as a disciple. It's listening to him, doing, seeking his face, yielding to him, and we do that by worshiping him, seeking him, offering ourselves to him daily. So what we want to do is, as we come to every day, we want to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Here I am, Lord. Lord, give me ears to ear, hear. Give me eyes to see what you're doing, where you're working. Allow me to be filled with your spirit today. Not me. I don't want to be filled with me. I want to be filled with you, Lord. Allow me to be that vessel of honor, to be ready for whatever you want me to do today. It reminds me of that passage that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So as disciples, friends, we need to get up every day and say, Lord, here I am. I am ready and I'm able to whatever it is you want me to do today. I seek your face. I seek your will. I yield my heart to you today and today and today. Amen. So we worship him as we're seeking to do whatever he wants us to do. Seek his direction, giving ourselves over to him daily. Hey, friends, listen, don't be satisfied on cruise control. Pay attention to what the Spirit is calling you to do. Can I get a witness? Amen? Amen. All right, so we see this. So be courageous, church, in this culture in which we live in today. Journey on. Each, spend each day worshiping him, spending time yielding yourself to him, seeking his face. But, but know this, that on this journey, this worship, it leads to something. It leads, secondly, it leads to work. It leads to work. That's the second point. So as these disciples of Jesus, as they are worshiping and fasting and praying, they're seeking direction, they're yielding to him, the Spirit then gives direction. Look at verse 2. It says that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So there are really two works here that we see that the Spirit is directing them to do. There's a work of the church and there's a work of Barnabas and Saul. The work of the church is the Spirit says, hey, set apart Barnabas and Saul and send them out. That's the work the church is supposed to do at this moment. There's also a work for Barnabas and Saul or Paul, which is to go and to preach the word. They're to be sent, but they're to go and they're to preach the word. So this journey with Jesus, it required something. As they have fasted and they've prayed, they've sought the will of God. What is it you want us to do? Now it requires something. It requires them to obey, to be obedient, to do the work that he's calling them to do. And so for the church, this meant sending out two great leaders from the midst of them. And the church at Antioch is a great church, but you can imagine that there had to be some people in that church that when God, that the Spirit says, hey, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to be sent out, they had to be thinking, oh, really, God? Can it be two other guys? Does it have to be these two? Can it be the guy who just comes and doesn't do anything? I mean, can we just send him out? No. The Spirit says, no, Barnabas and Saul. So it had to be a difficult thing for the church because they were thinking, possibly, who will take their place? I mean, Barnabas is such a great encourager. 
Man, it's awesome to have him in the church to, to encourage us all the time. And Saul, man, he is such a great teacher. Who's going to teach us as well as Saul has? So here's the thing is that the Lord was calling them out, and they were obedient. Barnabas and Saul, it meant leaving the joy and the security of this great church in Antioch. It would mean traveling in places without knowing where they would stay. It would be difficult for them as well because it would mean tough roads. It would mean tough people. It would mean tough times. But as we look at the church at Antioch and we look at Barnabas and Paul, we see the reason that they are obedient. The reason why they press on in the work that they've been called to do. And the reason is, is that the Spirit says to them in verse 2, set apart for me for the work, work that I have called them. In other words, it is God who is saying, look, this is his call. This is his commission. It's his command. And these disciples belong to him. They're his people. And so as they are called to the task, as, as the church at Antioch and Barnabas and Saul are called to the task, what is it that they do next? as they're called by God. Well, they do it. They obey the Lord, right? In the church in verse 3, it says, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. This idea of they laid their hands on them, laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul to send them off. That laying of hands is saying, look, we identify with you. We identify with you. You're part of who we are. And so we're sending you out. And as you go, a part of us is going to. As you go, we're going. So they're obedient to the task. And then Barnabas and Saul, they also obey the Lord. In verses four and five, so it tells us, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So what is it they do? Well, they go and they preach the word. They're traveling the island of Cyprus from Salamis to the east and to Paphos, to Paphos in the west. And as they're on this island, they, man, they got to go to an island. Hey, this is no vacation, all right? So they're on this place and they are work. It's work. They're preaching Jesus. They're engaging the culture with the good news that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, that he was the one crucified on a cross and risen bodily from the grave. They're proclaiming the word of God, pointing from the Old Testament to who Jesus is. They went first to the synagogues, but also to the Gentiles, the Bible says. So the work was the journey that was assigned to the church at Antioch, but also to Barnabas and Saul. This work was not easy. This work was hard. This work would be difficult. This work would be hardship. And there would be bumps in the road on the journey. And they knew all that. But you know what? They obeyed. They sought the Lord in worship and fasting and praying. And the, in that worship, they yielded themselves to him. And he called them to the work and they obeyed. Let me tell you something, friends. You know what that is? That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it means to be a disciple. You may have these rosy ideas of being a disciple as, hey, as long as I just warm that pew on Sunday morning, I can check the box and I'm good to go. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, my friends, it is way more than just warming that pew. It's about seeking his face and yielding to him and following him and obeying him and delighting in him as we walk with him. You see, he calls us to work. 
as the church and the individuals who make up the church out in this world. We have a mission to accomplish meeting people where they are and pointing them to Jesus. We've been called to be his ambassadors and we each have been given this privilege and this responsibility to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We've each been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God to serve for the glory of God and to work. And we're to be seeking him and, and yielding, yielding to him and being willing to do whatever he leads us to do today. And then the next day, on that day. And then the next day, on that day. And then on the next day, on that day. Amen? Whatever he wants us to do, we work. You say, Pastor, I don't like this idea. I don't like this idea of working for the Lord. I mean, come on. I, I mean, I've got a lot of work already. I've got work around the house. I've got work in the yard. I've got work at work. I've got to pay the bills. I mean, why, why do I need to work for the Lord? Well, I would say to you, you bring up a good question. But you can work for the Lord while you're out in your yard. You can work for the Lord while you're at your work. You can work for the Lord all these different places. But really, 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 you're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking the question, why do I need to work for the Lord? You need to be asking, why do I get to work for the Lord? Amen? Why do I get to work for the Lord? And so let me just remind you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, as he had just talked about the gospel and, and the resurrection that had taken place and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we come to chapter 15, verse 51 through 58, and, and we read these words. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this victory in Jesus Christ that death has been swallowed up, friends, because of what Jesus did on the cross and at the empty tomb. Come on now, amen. That's what's taking place. He's been resurrected. Our Savior lives. And so death has been swallowed up. But we tend to stop right there. But there's another verse. So he gives us the victory. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this, verse 38. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. Watch. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the, in the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So as we look here, we see our destination where we're eventually going to get to. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Amen. But we also see the journey. That we're to always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that work's not in vain in him. So we see the journey. We also see the reason because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary and at the empty tomb. There's victory in Christ. And so we want to work. We get to work for him. Be courageous, church, in this culture. Journey on, worship, spend every day seeking his direction, yielding him and work, obeying him. But here's the next thing I want you to see, the third point. But be aware there will be 
war. There will be war. You see, friends, as you take this journey of journeying with Jesus, following him, walking with him, you never know what you will face. As in any journey, you'll never know what you'll face. You know, to get to my house from here or from my house or from here to my house, you typically, I will typically take Harrogate Road. If you've ever been on Harrogate Road in the past few weeks, you know that Harrogate is under construction. It's a loads of fun, by the way, just so you know. When they first got started on it, uh, there was, uh, um, you know, as, as any construction site, right now there's two lanes, but when they're doing the construction, they narrow it down to one lane. So they bring the, the pylons or the little you know, cones out. And so it was early on, uh, there's a guy, when you drive up, uh, you've seen these, I'm sure, who's holding a sign, right? He's real good at his job. He's holding a sign. He's got two sides to it. One side says, stop. And the other side says what? Slow. Right. See, y'all been there. Y'all know this. All right. So you come. So when it was early on, we'd come. I had Lydia with me. We were in the car. We we're going somewhere. We we're going down Harrogate Road. And uh, the cars got on ahead of us. And so we were, the, we, we were the ones who were blessed to be able to have to stop right then. And so we stopped. You know, the guy had the little stop sign there. And the cars are coming. All the cars are coming. So the guy on that end has this slow. So they could all be coming. The last car comes, and this one lane, and our guy up here, he turns it to slow so that we can drive slowly down Harrogate. And so I'm leading the pack of all the cars that's behind me, and I'm driving along uh, down this uh, road. And as I get halfway down with all the cars behind me, I look, and there's a car heading my way, straight down the road. And what had happened is just that one car, praise God, but that one car, and so as he got to us, it was, there's no way for me to turn around and do anything, so we just had to move over, and everybody moved over for that guy to get on by. When I got down to the fella down there holding that sign, that fella holding that sign never turned it to stop. It was still on slow. So I pointed to him like, uh, you need to figure this thing out, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but he looked at me like I was kind of crazy, but anyway, I don't know how, how that all turned out, but I hadn't seen anything on the news. But nevertheless... As I got through that, I told Lydia, I said, you know, you just never know what you're going to face on a journey, right? Isn't that true? You just never know what you're going to face on a journey. And beloved, we may never know what we're going to face on a journey, but here's what you do know that you will face when you're on a journey with Jesus. You do know you will face war. You will face opposition when you're on a journey with Jesus. Come on now, right? When you're on a journey with Jesus, you can know you will face opposition. That's exactly what's taking place here with Paul and Barnabas. It tells us there in verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Sergius Paulus, evidently, he wanted to know more about the Word of God. He wanted to know about Jesus. And so... This Sergius Paulus had summoned Barnabas and Saul, it says, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, he opposed them. He opposed Barnabas and Saul, seeking to turn that proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who's also called Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at him and he said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, uh, of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And behold... 
the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So what we see here is that Paul and Barnabas, when they're preaching Jesus, they're offering hope to the people. Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, he wanted to know more. So this false prophet then comes in, a man of the cult. He opposes them in order to turn that proconsul away from the faith. And Paul, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, he called this guy out. He called the hand of the Lord to cause darkness to fall on him since he was living in darkness and leading people away from the light. And what we see in this passage of scripture, friends, here's what I want you to understand. That when you are following the Lord, when you are obeying him, when you are walking with him, when you are delighting him, doing everything that he has called you to do, you will still face opposition because there is a war that's taking place with the devil, our enemy. Notice here what Paul says in verse 10. He calls this guy out. He says, you're the son of the devil. You're an enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit. Now we know that as disciples, our God is righteous. He's pure righteousness. His ways are perfect. His ways are holy. His ways are true. His ways are right. His plans are for his glory and they are good. But what we see here is the devil is the enemy of God. He's the enemy of righteousness. He's the enemy of that which is pure, that which is right, that which is good. And he's a liar. He's the father of all lives. And so as we journey on as a disciple following Jesus, we're going to be opposed by his enemy, the devil. That's what we see Elamas doing here. He's opposing them. And that word is that he was literally persisting in his opposition as he was unwilling to lose Sergius Paulus to faith in Christ. Beloved, I'm here to tell you that we're on a journey and we're to seek out the Lord every day. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Guide me today, guide me today, guide me in the long run, guide me today and be willing to be obedient to whatever he's leading you to do. But as you're faithful to follow the Lord and walk with him, the devil will use every tool in his toolbox to keep you from accomplishing the work of God. He will use everything in his arsenal to oppose the gospel from being proclaimed. And he'll use every trick to keep the kingdom of Jesus Christ from expanding. He's the enemy. He's the enemy. And we're at war. And so you hear that and you say, well, pastor, I understand this journey. I understand what I'm supposed to do. But as I come to this part, that's about knowing I'm going to face opposition. I mean, that makes me a little bit unnerved. Makes me a little nervous about that. So how, how do I stand against the devil in the midst of this? Well, beloved, listen, you stand against the devil, not in your power, but in God's. It's not you who has the power. It's the Lord who has the power. Did you notice what it said about Paul when he confronted this guy? It said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It didn't say he was filled with himself. The problem is that we want to face the devil filled with who we think we are. We face our enemy in the power of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? As we face the difficulties, as we journey on with Jesus, we're going to be opposed in this culture. We're going to be opposed by false prophets, people of other faiths who oppose the gospel. We're going to be opposed by the secular media. We're going to be opposed by college professors. We're going to be opposed by anybody who wants to argue with us. But beloved, let me encourage you in this culture, in this time, for such a time as this, disciple, stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Stand firm on the gospel. And know that as you face the opposition, it's not your power, but it's the power of God in you. And as we stand firm, we are to do so rooted in our love for Jesus and our love for those who need to hear the good news that he saves. Paul said in Romans 1.16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is, watch this, it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So, so be courageous, church. Journey on, worship, seeking his direction, yielding to him, work, obeying him, be aware that we war. But know this, here's the fourth and final point. It is worth it. As we take this journey, it is worth it. There'll be difficulties. It is worth it. There's going to be hard times. It's worth it. There's going to be people who oppose you. It's worth it. Amen? Amen. Paul and Barnabas left the security and the joy of being in a secure, comfortable place like Antioch with those beloved brothers and sisters. They had to travel long distances. They faced difficulty. They were likely tired. They were exhausted often. They faced opposition of Elamus as well as other likely cynics and, and hecklers and people who were uh, critics. They even faced, in verse 13, we see that John, who's also known as Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. There had to be some discouragement that came with that, and we'll talk about that another time. But what we see is that it was worth it. We see that. One thing, how it's worth it, is what takes place in verse 12. So Paul has confronted this guy who's opposing them, and when he sees what takes place, verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What we see here is the proconsul Sergius Paulus, sees what's taking place, he hears the gospel, and he is saved. He accepts Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. And as he accepts Christ as Savior of his life, through all the hardships and all the difficulties, this one man is saved. Paul and, ba- uh, Paul and Barnabas have to be thinking, it's worth it. It's worth it, right? Amen? Amen? It's worth it. But even if, but even if he had not accepted Christ, it would still be worth it. Because they knew what we as disciples need to remember today as well. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, let me read these verses for you real quick. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Here's what Barnabas and Paul knew what we need to remember today. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God. And the reason why the world does not know us, or the reason why the world is opposed to us, the reason why the world is against us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see Jesus. It'll be worth it. Amen. And I love this passage of scripture because it reminds us of the love that our father has for us. One of my pastor friends this week was talking to us about this passage of scripture. And you know, in the NIV, What I read to you was the ESV. In the NIV, it reads like this. For what great love the Father has lavished on us. The Father has lavished his love on us. You know, if we're really honest, 
When we think about our Heavenly Father, oftentimes we don't think of Him in terms like this, but rather we think of Him as a grumpy grandfather. And He's just waiting for us to mess up. And what we want to do is we want to do whatever we can not to make Him mad before He shoots a lightning bolt at us or does whatever. So I'm going to tiptoe around and do everything that's going to make Him happy so that my grumpy grandfather doesn't get mad with me. Beloved, that's a terrible way to think of our Heavenly Father. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that this is our Heavenly Father who lavishes His love on us. Do you know what that word lavish really means? You know, when you have cinnamon rolls and you put icing on that, you don't sparingly put them on, you lavishly put that icing on. Come on now, I know y'all with me, right? When you have pancakes every Sunday morning, typically at my house, we, I fix pancakes and, and we use maple syrup. Forget that bottled stuff. We use the maple syrup, all right? And when you pour the maple syrup on, we want to lavish it on, right? Pour it on. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We don't spare any. Put it on there. And that's what we find of our Father's love for us. He lavishes his love on us. And he is unsparing in his love for us. So how do you know that, Pastor? Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. We know the love of God because we see what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Unsparing in his love for us. You see, friends, it's worth it because we get to serve the Lord because we delight in him because he loves us so, right? And we love him. Three to-dos and we're done real quick. So here's the first one. As we're on this journey, as we worship to seek his face, we work in obedience to him, whatever he calls us to do, we know there's gonna be opposition, but it's gonna be worth it. The first thing I want us to understand to do, to apply to our lives is this. Be attentive to his direction. Don't be satisfied, as we talked about, going through your journey with Jesus on cruise control. But have your antennas up, always seeking the face of God, seeking what he desires, what he wants. You know, today in our society today, people have those things called earbuds. You've seen those things, right? I don't, I don't have any of those. My children have some of those. But when I see people out in the marketplace with those things, you know, the first thing I think of is, man, look at those antennas sticking out of those people's heads. They're like the antennas. And so as you see people with those antennas sticking out of their ears this week, may it be a reminder to you that you need to put up your antennas and seek, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to serve you today? Amen? Put up your antennas. So be attentive to his direction. Secondly, the to-do is this. Give them Jesus. As you live your life, you're going through this journey with Jesus. You're going to see people, talk to people. Give them Jesus. Whoever they are, give them Jesus. Through your life and through your lips, give them Jesus. And then thirdly, as you're on this journey, here's the last thing. As you're on this journey with Jesus, finish your journey well. This journey with Jesus on this earth is going to come to an end at some point. When it does, make sure that you're finishing well. Another pastor friend of mine this week was telling us a story of how he's retired now from the ministry, but he was telling us about how there were uh, two older ladies in his church. There was a mother 
who was a widow, and she'd been widowed for quite a few years, and then her daughter was also a widow. They moved in together. They'd been living together for quite a few years. And the older mother was getting late on in age and um, in her upper 90s. And uh, he had been away and he got a phone call that now this older widow was on her deathbed. As a matter of fact, the daughter who's talking to the pastor said she's been in a coma for four days, hadn't spoken a word, but we would love for you to just to come by if you could and just pray with her. He said that he went by the hospital where she was or the home, I forget which it was, went to the bedside where she was. The family was all gathered. She'd been in this coma for four days, not spoken a word. He went over to the side of the bed to this dear widow who was a dear saint of God who had loved the Lord. And he said to her, hey, dear sister, this is Brother Roger, your pastor. And he said at that moment, he said that her arms went up and she said, oh, pastor, I love Jesus with all my heart. He said in two hours, she was with the Lord. Let me tell you something, friends. That is finishing well. Amen? And I pray that all of us will love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart up until the very last breath, that when we close our eyes on earth, we will open them in glory, and what a day that will be. Amen? Finish your journey well as people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We do love you, Lord. It's not just words. We love you. We want to follow you. We want to walk with you. We want to obey you. We want to delight in you. We want to tell others about you. We want to point people to you. So, Lord, let us not be satisfied staying on a cruise control as as disciples, but may we be attentive to what you want us to do daily. Lord, let us be found faithful. Let us end the journey well. Every day, every day, every day, being attentive, giving people Jesus, looking forward to that day when we'll see you face to face. Father, I pray that you'd have your way in all of our hearts and lives. We come to this invitation, Lord, that we would be the people of God you want us to be that we'd respond to how you're dealing with our hearts. We need to come and pray silently or pray with a pastor. Whatever it may be, Lord, may you be with us as you invite us to walk with you. And if there are those who have never trusted you by faith, may this be that moment where they'd say, yes, I need to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus in repentance, believing that he died for me and rose again. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I pray that you'd work all over this room having your way in every heart and life for your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing together. You come. as God is.